It's your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. And hello everyone and welcome to episode 27 of the Trick or Triggers podcast. I am your host Kyle and I am happy to announce that I am once again joined by my one of my good um, I'm my good friend and amazing co-host, JR. JR, we have missed you. How are you doing, buddy? Well, as of on April 11th, 2021, it has been, I believe, close to a month since we've last recorded a show together. And um, I haven't really talked about it. I, I talked about it a little bit online, the reason why for my absence, you know about it. Um, and we didn't say anything on Trigger Trigger's podcast because I wanted to you know, say it. Um, unfortunately, um, on March 18th, I had a death in the family. Um, we are very close to family, and my uncle, who was a big part of my childhood, um, passed away due to complications of the COVID-19 uh, virus. It was, um, it hit me like a, like a gut punch when I first heard the news. I was I was trying to process and I was short circuiting as basically, you know, how, how did this happen? What, what, what are we going to do? How's my family going to do? Um, he was, it was hard. And because of the type of family we are and certain traditions, it was a very, um, ex- a very emotional and, um, and exhausting, both physically and mentally, um, Basically, it's been now um, about 23 days from the time he passed away. Um, since then, we um, he was uh, laid to rest. We were able to say our goodbyes, um, and we spent some time together as a family, mourning um, his untimely passing. And it just it was a very humbling and difficult experience because you really don't know how what's life going to throw your way. Um, literally the day that he died and when I got the news, I was uh, having a conversation with my boss about, you know, us getting back to work soon about, and I had just got my shot, my first vaccine the week before. So, you know, I think things are looking up. I think things are fine. going to get back to normal. Um, we did have some, uh, I had some relatives lose some of their extended family due to this this virus but for me in some ways it, it it touched me but it didn't touch me so close and I, I had literally it was weird I I told my boss I said oh I need to step away because we do virtual calls every day um, during the week when we work and I stepped away um, 
to grab something to drink. And my mom had called me. And I always, when I, when I talk to my mother, I'm just always like, ah, what do you want, woman? And met to mess with her. And she just said, hey, I need to, you know, tell you something. And I almost just dropped the phone. So it really puts things in perspective and, you know, about what's important. And I just can't thank enough uh, my family for being there, my friends, um, especially you, Kyle, because you always checked up on me throughout that whole process. And I was I was silent. I was very dormant. I went into a place because I had to take care of my family. I, uh, in this unfortunate situation, I was I am fortunate enough to uh, be in a position where I was able to help my. Um, my cousins, my aunts, my uh, my other uncle, my father, my grandmother um, helped through this process, and um, and that's I'll just I, you know I'll end it there. If not, I'll be rambling on for for an hour about it. Um, what I've gone through the last three weeks, but I'll leave everybody with this: is just you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Um, just make sure that you tell the people that you love that you love them and don't take anything for granted because that rug can be pulled under out of your feet at any second. And, um, and it was a very, um, very emotional, humbling experience what I went through. And um, so the other thing I also add is this, uh, I'm sorry. And I know it's unfortunately become a political issue, but this virus is it's serious and you know i have now become fully vaccinated i'm proud of it um you know i I tell people if you just look at you know there's a lot of issues people talk about you know well it's you know there's not enough information go look up go look up information about like you know the polio vaccine when it came out back when polio was an issue go look at the food vaccine go look at when penicillin i mean I understand, like, I'm essentially a guinea pig because I was the first to get, one of the first ones to get the shot. But, you know, I will say penicillin, which changed the landscape of of medicine, was the greatest thing until the first person, unfortunately, had an allergic reaction from it. And the same thing when the polio vaccine happened, you know, polio came out. That that vaccine had to come out immediately immediately. Um, it was done in months during a time where we had we didn't have the advancements as we had today. So there's a lot of misinformation out there because of 2020 and people that were in charge. But you know, you really, um, you know, my uncle was 51 years old, and there was no reason for him to have passed away at such a young age. You know, 51 is not old, and he was like a Herculean man. And this virus is just unfortunately hits people, hits certain people in a very, very, um, some people in a very bad way and takes people way too soon. And that's unfortunately what happened with my uncle. It took him way too soon. And, you know, it just, that is not, I'd rather take a risk with the vaccine um, than I would just taking COVID straight on, especially as more places are starting to open up. You know, I live in the West Coast, and pretty much every place in the West Coast is extremely liberal, and most of the cities are getting ready to open up the next three, the next two to three months. So 
it's important to get those vaccines. And I'll just leave it at that. You know, take with what you will. Well said, JR. And uh, uh, I'm happy to have you have you back on the show. I've uh, I've missed you these past few weeks. We haven't had you on. I know uh, I only had one recording. Well, we would have had two, but unfortunately, Scott screwed up that recording, and I recorded a like a two and a half hour episode with uh, some of our friends from the. Slashing Cast Podcast Network on uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and Scott just made the audio completely unsalvageable, so that's why we have switched to Zencaster now, and hopefully we won't run into those problems again. Uh, hope, uh, here soon we'll uh, have to figure out, uh, I, I, I definitely want to try and reschedule that and uh, redo that episode, because I think it'll be fun to have everybody back, to have everybody back and uh Redoing that episode. It was a fun talk. But uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, getting the vaccine. So uh, I also uh, agree with JR, you know, go out there and get your vaccines so we can get back to normal and, and to try and prevent stuff like what happened to JR by, you know, getting our vaccines and wearing our mask and, you know, practicing. Uh, good social distancing and everything. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, you know, we are opening up. I mean, there's places that are opening up a lot sooner than others, but I mean, like I said, I live on the West Coast, and the West Coast is all extremely democratic, liberal, and they are even, you know, that's opening up. And I think the expectation is by summer, it's going to be pretty widely open. I think there's still going to be some mask mandates, but there's going to, you know, social distancing is going to, I think, come, you know, it's going to start ceasing to exist pretty soon. You know, there's not going to be, uh, you know, this, you know, diners being only at 25% capacity or 50% capacity or, you know, no in-person indoor dining. Like, that's all going to be gone soon. And it's going to go back to, you know, a sense, you know, a normal and, you know, you just, like I said, People are like, I'm not gonna get the, the vaccine because they're not for information. I mean, the information is out there. If you read up, if people actually read up the actual medical, you know, information on coronavirus 19, where it came, where it came from, how it's a variant of the SARS, which SARS has been around for years. Um, their research is is out there, and it's been done longer than a year, and. Um, and the other thing too is like I tell people is that even if you get COVID and you potentially survive from COVID, which I mean you you can't survive from COVID. I mean there's there's a lot like there's no denying that like there's information out there, but the life altering effects that you could potentially have from COVID, from lung scarring, um, to having organ issues. Um, there's a lot of side effects that people are are going to deal with um being essentially you know having covid and then i guess for lack of a better word surviving you know a covid uh 19 infection so i i have said multiple times um i got sick last february at the beginning of covid 
um, which like was, there was no information out there as far as like how it was in the U.S. You know, that didn't come to like six weeks later. So when I got sick, the doctors had only asked me, hey, did you go to China or did you interact with anybody from China? That was it. There was no COVID test available. Um, and the doctors suspected I had COVID, but there was no way to determine that because by the time all that information came out, it would already been out of my system. But because I had, an, by coincidence, I had another trip planned four weeks later um, from when I got the um when I got sick, I was going to the doctor every single week, getting um, st- uh, steroid uh, steroid medication and a Z pack and getting an inhaler nebulizer to help the infection out of my lungs because they knew it was an issue with my lungs. They just didn't know what it was um, because, like I said, there was no way to test for COVID at the time because there was no test. So. And I still have breathing problems to this day. It's, it's starting to go away, but um, finally, but I've I've been using inhaler every single day, you know, for over a year now because of that um, issue I had going back to last February of 2020. So um, it's crazy, but I, I've already rambled about that too much. And like I said, I wanted to explain the reason why I hadn't been here for a month. And um, I appreciate, you know, everybody being understanding and um, I'm sorry, I told Kyle uh, when I heard about the unfortunate issue with Skype, that is horrible because we've dealt with that before and it is not fun to put all that work in and you're not able to post it up for people to listen to. And um, so now we're here finally back, you and I, it's been a month and we're talking about one of my favorite movies. I remember watching as a kid. Um, it is... As we record April 11th, we had it's 25 years and two days to the date of this direct to video release of this sequel of Tremors 2. And when we're talking about doing sequels in April, I just had to do this one because you know how I'm obsessed with dates and anniversaries. And I thought this was a perfect one to do. Yeah, uh, I'll, I, I remember watching the trimmer series growing up and it was always something fun it, it was also one it was like it was campy but it was fun to watch i liked that you know it wasn't a movie that took itself serious it was just you know something fun you could just put on and and uh, turn your brain off of and enjoy and uh this one was no uh, different than the original uh in some ways i'd say it uh i actually enjoyed it more than the original and from what I've read online, that seems to be the general consensus. Of course, there's always some that think that this is bad, but uh, most of it seems to generally be a pretty positive uh, 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 overall opinion that uh, some people even said this they consider uh, this one the uh, highlight of the entire franchise. Yeah, so there's, um, for those who don't know, Tremors, the original, came out in 1990, and you and I, Kyle, um, last I believe it was last October, um, we had we covered the original Tremors because it was a 30 year anniversary. Again, you know how I'm obsessed with anniversaries, um, and this one came out six years later in April of 1996. There were some changes, and um, if 
we'll do things a little bit different with this one. Um, give a little background information. So, with Tremors 2 was originally set to be released in the movie theaters with a $17 million budget. And they were going to have a reprisal of Valent- of uh, Valentine. I always call him Valentine. I can't remember his first name. But the character portrayed by Kevin Bacon as well as um, Heather Gummer, who is played by Reba McIntyre, and the second Trimmers. Due to Reba McIntyre's tour schedule as a country artist, who's one of my favorite country singers, uh, one of my favorite country singers of all time, as well as um, Kevin Bacon deciding to film, be a part of Apollo... I believe it's Apollo 13, the movie with Tom Hanks. He backed uh, out. Yeah, Apollo 13. So he so those are two very significant characters because I would I don't think it's hard to say as with all respect to the character of Bert and uh and Earl, but Reba McIntyre and Kevin Bacon are two of the biggest stars that would have been in that film. So when they pulled out the studios dropped it from a $17 million budget to a $4 million budget, kind of rewrote the script, and the sets we released direct-to-video. Now, they were able to bring back the um, Fred Ward, who plays Earl, as well as um, Bert Gummer, who's played by Michael Gross, which I think is important because, for me, one of the biggest issues with any sequel is if you do a sequel, there's nobody from the originals, originals in it. So... That's terrible um, that, you know, when they do that. So I'm glad there is at least two of the original characters that are brought into the sequel. And they took it from being in Perfection, Nevada, to south of the border in Mexico. And they also brought in a new character uh, named Grady Hoover, who's played by Christopher Garten. And... To, um, this goes to what you were saying as far as some people think that this may have been better or the contestants may have been better. But I think that's because while the first one did have a comedic uh, you know, attributes to it, I think it was also a little more serious. Where The second one, for me, was almost pretty much pure comedy uh, with the exception of you know, some there were some deaths in this one just like the original. But in that character of Grady was really funny as in that role as being like the new sidekick for Earl. And so I think that was really important why um why this one was great is because you still had one of the original character uh two of the original characters, uh two very fun original characters, as well as this new character of Grady who was really funny in my opinion. Yes, yeah, so uh let's go ahead and uh let's go ahead and get straight into it. Uh we're talking about Tremors 2 Aftershock. Carmen, or Aftershocks, my bad. Uh, Carmen, hit the trailer. Don't move. Don't breathe. And whatever you do, don't make a sound. Because they're back. Get off the ground, Grady! Get off the ground! Preparing to fire. 
<laughs> we don't know. The worms changed somehow. Now we've got these things. Tremors 2. Aftershocks. Evolution. It's a bitch. So when this film starts off, um, we see a, which looks like some sort of construction worker um, or a oil oil rig worker. Um, he's running across this land and is essentially on like barrels and ends up getting uh, taken underground, which we can only assume because of the, of the original they got taken down by a graboid. Um, and this was in the oil field inside of um, Mexico. I, I can't say the name right. and I'm kind of embarrassed, but I've never, my Spanish is very bad, but I think the name of the city is called Chiapas, Chiapas, Mexico. So um, from there, we see two ostriches and we've run into a now older uh longer hair earl bassett played by fred word and he's trying to get these two ostriches to mate and he's having struggles with them well fun, he's doing uh, a funny thing about that from what i read online was apparently they were two male ostriches ostriches uh, and that's why the they wouldn't mate. Apparently, the female ostrich is uh, slightly smaller and has more of a grayer color. Yeah, I did. I saw that too. Um, I was going over some research, and I thought that was a hilarious thing. I was like, I wonder if Earl knew that, but at the same time, you know, it's one of that Hollywood thing is like, hey, we need two ostriches, and you know, bring them. But I'll tell you this though, on that topic, ostriches. I've seen a lot of videos of ostriches. I've seen. Um, one of my favorite uh, YouTube shows, Good Mythical, uh, Good Mythical Morning. They also have the kind of a spinoff called Mythical Kitchen, where their chef goes to an ostrich farm to get a ostr- uh, uh, ostrich egg. And I just see those ostriches. I think people are like, oh, they're just giant birds. I would not want to mess with one of those things. They, they look kind of terrifying. Unless you're ready to get into a fight, you know, and potentially think you're gonna have to, you know, cause severe bodily harm to an ostrich. It's probably gonna, you know, whoop your ass. So, uh, yeah, I, I just don't wanna. I've always had a rule of thumb: like, don't mess with things that are bigger than you. And I think ostriches are have, you know, there's a misconception about them, but they're pretty big and they're extremely fast. Yeah, don't don't fuck with ostriches. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if it's because people just think like, oh, it's a bird, and so like it can't like, what's it gonna do? It's like a turkey or a chicken. Like, no, it's, you know, in some ways, I mean, yeah, it is a bird, but like, it to me is it kind of also like looks like um, I mean, it's like the size of like a, I would say, like a like a kangaroo. You know, it's, it's pretty big. It doesn't have the weight of it because it has a long neck and legs, but it has, you know, the powerful legs. I think it wasn't there a stat like they can run like over over 30 miles an hour or something like that. I believe so, yeah. I, so I, I've seen that little f- f- 
honey things like that uh played like off that in like movies of or in tv shows of people pissing off ostriches and then getting in cars and then the ostriches running side by side at them yeah and they, i mean and they they'll throw their head at you and try to peck your eye out so yeah i wouldn't want to mess with those things but um yeah just like i, said, I wouldn't want to mess i mean i heard their eggs go for a lot of money i think one egg is over 50 dollars, but then you'd have to fight you know an ostrich for that egg so um yeah i wouldn't want to mess with that but so we see earl there with these two ostriches and it comes in a gentleman by the name of carlos ortega who runs the oil refinery, um, that's what it is, in Mexico. And he tells them that there's been a number of killings in his oil field and that it is, uh, they believe it to be graboids. And you see this look of Earl's face um, where he's just, he's scared. And he tells them they want them to, he wants to pay them. And he says there is not enough money um, to you know, to go kill them, and he pleads with him, like, hey, do this, you know, we've already asked your friend, Valentine, um, and he doesn't want to do it, he goes, of course not, why would he do it, you know, he married a good girl, and, and you know, he's doing a thing, and he did, which tells us he ended up marrying, um, and I forgot her real name, but he married Rhonda LeBec, who was the, the student seismologist in the first one, which is another one that did not return for the um sequel and so one of the cool things um i would say the the props department did or a set department did is in earl's trailer he has all of these like magazine covers and one of the things they brought in was the arcade a video arcade machine of like a graboid what do you think of that um that setup yeah, Ow. yeah. I was about to say. I was about to say it's kind of crazy. He has a graboid arcade machine. That was that was pretty neat. Uh, and the little newspaper clippings or like that were framed on the wall was pretty. It was a nice touch too. It, it it it's weird. It's like even though he uh, even though he has fame, he didn't quite capitalize correctly. So he's still broke. Absolutely, and um, which leads us to um, there's a dialogue that comes in, but he when he ends up saying no, the Ortega's taxi driver, who is Grady Hoover, comes in to tries to convince um, Earl of like to do this, and he is like, for lack of a better word, a super fan, a fanatic of Earl and Valentine of their adventures. And um, he sees the arcade machine and tells them, like, hey, um, you know, you must have made a lot of money on this. And he said, I, sh I didn't make any money. You know, I should have got a lawyer. And and as to what you had just said right now, Kyle, that he didn't cash in on, on any of the fame uh, that he would have got off of what happened in the first movie. And Grady tells them that they will pay them $50,000 per Graboid that they killed, which because of that ends up changing um, Earl's mind because he thinks like he can make this money, he ends up invested and make, you know, and have a better life instead of living on this failed ostrich farm and living out in a trailer. 
and he tells Ortega and Grady goes with them, and so they take off to Mexico to go hunt graboids. From there, um, when they get to the oil refinery, um, they end up finding out that they would actually um, pay them $100,000 that they end up catching one, which Earl tells them, you know, you're outside your mind, you're crazy, like you ever seen one of these things? And she just said, well, we, you know, if it's possible, we want, you know, we would pay you more because we'd like to study it. While he's there, um, he also meets a geologist who's working on the site whose name's Kate Riley. Um, and they're going over, you know, all the information and helping them determine where the graboids uh, killings were happening. And they get their list of supplies from the Mexican army and which is essentially uh, dynamite, uh, some firearms, as well as some toy trucks, uh, remote toy trucks specifically. In addition to that, Hoover has, uh, Grady has this great idea to tie a chain full of cans on it, kind of similar to what you would see if somebody just got married, but basically that on steroids because it's a massive chain with all the cans on there and tied to the back of the truck to make more noise. Yeah, and uh, another thing to note is essentially we've now pretty much met all of the characters for the film because th- this one doesn't have near as big of a cast as the as the other one. Yeah, the um, the only two people I forgot to mention was they you would also meet a um, gentleman who I believe his name is Julio, who is a who works with Kate is another fellow geologist as well as another oil field worker named Pedro. Um, but when I say these are minor, like you, you're never going to see Pedro again. And you're, I think you only see Julio maybe one more time after this. It's like, um, and actually you never see Ortega after this either. I'm, I'm pretty confident saying that like the, the th- three of the four make the characters are Earl Grady um, as well as uh, Kate Riley, and there's one more that I will mention. We'll mention later, um, but that's it. Those are the three main characters. You'll never see Ortega again. You'll never see Pedro again, and I think we may see Julio one more time. From from this adventure, I mean, essentially Earl and Grady they go off into the the fields and they're just systematically killing the graboids, you know, one by one using remote using dynamite sticking to uh, you know being taped to the remote control cars, and they go drive off. The graboids eat the remote control car, and then um, they flip a switch, dynamite explodes, and dead graboid. It's a hell of a it's a hell of a little uh, gimmick uh, gimmick that they set up with that with the explosive uh, toy vehicles. Yeah, and the other thing too, it's super smart say, too. Yeah, I mean, one of the other things too is that because of the lack of budget, you know, they were down to four million, um, which in if you compare it to today's, is about. Uh, seven million dollars no, it's not a lot of money so i think it's also kind of a creative way because instead of showing them um 
you know, like a bunch. Of, you know, you had three graboids in the original, and a lot of them came above ground. But essentially, you're paying for these mini explosions and having some sort of special effects goo, you know, pop up. So it looks really gnarly. But I mean, I don't know anything about. I should say this. Um, you know, very ignorant of me to say it, but not knowing anything about it, but. I don't think it costs a lot of special effects, you know, compared to saying like, "Hey, let's blow up this entire mass of graboid," and just showing like the remains flying. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the explosions are pretty similar to to they could have essentially reused footage at that. That whole montage thing was hilarious. That they did, they had like a fucking montage of them using the same trick over and over and over. And I love the touch of them of them hold, uh, pulling out umbrellas when the debris is flying down. Oh yeah, and it's not even like these umbrellas. It's like basically like a strawberry shortcake, to, you know, logo umbrella. Like they're like little they're umbrellas. If you had like a little you know girl niece daughter that you would give them like when it's raining outside. But the fact they're sitting there in these lawn chairs with the umbrellas, you know, because you have flying debris. Um, but that's pretty much that's the montage for about at least ten or fifteen, you know, yeah. for a big part of the film. It, um, it, it's great because it's like <laughs> they got music playing and everything. They're just having a good old fucking a good old fucking time. And then and while this is also happening, they're they're racking up money to say like we basically killed you know six graboids. That's three hundred thousand dollars, and that's one hundred fifty thousand a piece. Um, you know, and they're talking about how they're going to invest their money and. Um, there are two things that happen. Uh, one very uh, one, significant uh, thing that leads to a more significant thing happening, but Grady leaves the radio on the ground and the Graboid eats it, which then leads to a future segment where they start hearing uh, golden, uh, the music again, and they realize that same Graboid's back, and it eats the chain, and it drags... Um, it drags a truck, and then when it drags the trucks and breaks the chain off, they look at their, um, they have these video maps, like a monitor in their truck, and they see a number of graboids incoming. They said they better call more help, and this um, leads to Earl Car- calling his good friend from Perfection Nevada, uh, Burt Gummer, who we know is a, um, a gun enthusiast, and fought uh, the Graboids in, in the first Trimmers, and he decides to come uh, help Earl and Grady in Mexico. One of the reasons is that he says that um, his wife left him and he has nothing to do, um, and he gets everything he wants from the Mexican Army. I, there's elephant guns. I think I saw, a, like, a, a missile. Um, I, think, I can't think of what's the name of it, but it's basically like a anti-tank warfare type, anti-plane warfare type firearms. Like, he has a whole plethora of explosives and firearms in his, as well as a military truck that he got from the Mexican Army. Yeah, he was was ready, (laughs) to say the least. And and we're right back at it again. We see more Graboids, um, you know, being killed. By now, by Earl as well as um, 
Bert, and until they encounter a graboid that is essentially has breached the ground and has gone to a rock, and it somehow sounds, and they say like it's a non-aggressive sick type graboid, and so they call back for Pedro to come with a flatbed and to potentially, you know, winch or drag the graboid back so they can study it because if they bring this live graboid back, they'll get a hundred thousand instead of fifty thousand. Um and it all of a sudden day turns to night and Pedro's not there and they see they hear the graboid make a sound again and when they go check on it, the graboid is dead and similarly looks like it was ripped apart from the inside. Um when they go when they see Pedro's truck, it stopped, they go after it, and they realize that they see um, in a very gruesome way, it looks like there was some sort of fight or altercation. There was, like, blood everywhere, and they see two hands hanging from the back of the flatbed, and they go to to see Pedro, and it's just the hands, uh, and his body's gone. And so, like I said, that's the one only time we saw Pedro was earlier because all we see left of him is just these dead hands. And they uh, they can't get a hold of anybody. They try calling radio. Radios are not working. And they end up going into a radio tower and seeing that the radio tower has been destroyed. And they hear this noise. And they think it's a graboid. And instead comes out this little uh, two feet. Kind of looks like a mini ostrich. But ends up being a mini graboid-like creature that no longer uh, is below ground, can actually walk, and doesn't help hunt by sound anymore. Hunts by this, um, I can't think of what it's called, Kyle, but it's like basically infrared, similar to like what a, a snake uses to track body heat. The thing that pops up on top of his head. Yeah. Uh... And- uh, it's kind of like uh, have it's it's kind of like having thermal vision. Yes, and you actually we actually see that we actually see like a thermal vision of what this uh, two feet mini graboid creature um, is seeing. Um, Earl is able to kill one, and they're able to take another car um, to try to get back to the oil uh, field base or refinery base. While this is happening. Bert's truck is ambushed by a pack of these new creatures, and all of a sudden, uh, it just cuts away uh, during the middle of the fight. Then we see um, Julio is talking to Kate at the oil refinery through a window, and Julio ends up being killed by one of these creatures um, in the middle of it. So again, like we said, every you know we saw. Pedro, we only saw once, and then he died. We saw Julio twice, and he just died. Never saw Rotary again. So those are our four main characters. It was Earl, Grady, Kate, and Bert. That's it. And so um, everybody else, with the exception of Ortega, they were graboid, mini graboid uh, food, which was Julio, Pedro, and the oil worker. And I guess I'll just give a spoiler now. Nobody else dies, so... It's a really low death count. Only three people in this entire movie. That's that's insane. Which, <laughs> which is if I'm I got I'm trying to do the math real quickly in my head. That's lower 
than the first one, which had a low death count because the first one had the the um, the the guy who died at the top of the uh, electrical tower, the guy with the farm, the doctor and his wife. That was four, uh, and then uh, Walter Chang. That's five, and then uh, I can't think of his name, but there was another guy. That made there was uh, six or seven deaths in the first trimmers. I think it was six deaths, and now we got down to three. So that's pretty low. But I, this one, I mean, I, I think it's more of a sci-fi. It's not really a horror. Um, you do get those jump scares, but it's more of a story-based film. It's not about the kills. It's about the story. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it is so crazy is that anything has death when you don't have a lot of death. It's kind of like, man, that could have been, you know, there could have been more. But I'm, I'm thinking of a movie off the top of my head that probably has uh, even less kills of this. That's considered like a horror thriller. But um, yeah. Uh, a note to add is uh, a mini grab, the mini graboids that they see that are walking on the land now. Those are actually called Shriekers, but they never actually call them that in the movie. It's just, I don't know where the name stuck, but that's what they're called. Yes, and I'll give a spoiler because I've seen all the movies, is that the term Shrieker doesn't come until the third movie when they are, um, when they get back to Perfection, Nevada, and the camera was a niece. I believe it's the niece of Walter Chang uh, is writing the general story. She's selling um, like Graboid memorabilia or Graboid comics and stuff. And that's where the term Shrieker came from. So it's never listed in the third one and the second one. They don't never came up with the name of it. You know, Walter came up with the name Graboid in the first one before, you know, before he died. Um, but yeah, yeah, the name was never mentioned. They, they, I don't even know what they called them. I, I don't know if they just called them those things or um, mini graboids or what, but there was no shriekers was never mentioned in the first one. And the only reason why this, you know, that name came up was because when they, when their sensor went up, then they gave a loud shriek before they went to go, you know, to alert every, you know, their fellow, um, you know, the fellow shriekers. Um, as after they eat Julio, um, Earl and Grady arrive and they kill that shrieker and they go in and talk to Kate and they tell them, um, you know, what's happening and how they basically change. And when they go to take off, they see, um, um, that it ate their truck because, and while that happens, we now see uh, hear a loud noise, and they think it's a graboid or a lot of them, but it ends up being uh, Bert, and Bert has survived the encounter with all the Shriekers, and he explains how he's completely out of ammo, and he ended up fighting them hand-to-hand, and he ended up stunning one of them, and he ended up was able to capture it. And then they backed the they backed the military truck into the uh, office area that the office has connected to it has a warehouse. They shut the door, and we see this tongue come out, which was like based it looks like a somewhat of a 
nearly dead Shrieker is eating the food of Bird because Bird likes MREs. Have you ever had MREs, Kyle? Fun fact, actually, I have. Uh, I uh, uh, I forgot how it was like. It was like my first semester of, of university. Uh, my mom. Uh, my, my mom and dad had went to a, I think it was a surplus store and found an MRE and found some MREs and they bought some cause, uh, and they figured out I'd like to try them. And so I actually tried, I, I, I tried them. Uh, I can't remember what exactly one of them was. One of them I tried, it wasn't that bad, honestly. And, I actually will say I, I enjoyed it, but then there were some that were pretty bad. So I I've eaten MREs before. Um, I've eaten MREs not on a consistent basis, but I've eaten I've I have eaten MREs over the course of the last twenty years at various points. Uh, my dad had a friend who was a survivalist, and he gave my dad, and he was also a former uh, a veteran. Well, he was a veteran, former uh, member of the former army man. So he would give my dad MREs and give them to me. I thought they were the coolest thing ever, especially how you heat them up. I actually took one to to seventh grade, and I heated it up, and they thought I was like, they thought like I was gonna blow up like the cafeteria because of how it started smoking, and I, you know, I. Luckily, the custodian lady knew what I had, but I was never allowed to bring it back to school because of everything. And uh, it also had like packs of matches and stuff. So I was like, "Hey, let me give you these matches before you know I get in trouble." Um, I just I think they're, you know, having everything packaged is cool. But I will say I've eaten some bad ones, and I have a lot of respect for our men and women who serve who have to eat these because they're very heavy. Um, because it's from my understanding. An MRE is supposed to be because that's not just the meal ready to eat. It's supposed to have everything you need, you know, for like that may be your only meal of the day. So it's full of with a lot of carbs, a lot of fat, a lot of, you know, a lot of calories, a lot of protein um, because of, you know, everything that they do throughout the day. And that may be the only meal. So it has to have all those nutrients they need. And there are some, I've had some decent ones. I've had some really, really bad ones. You know, my sister-in-law, who's also a veteran, she's given me some before. Um, there is a a few of them, a few taste tests on a TV show called, or the one I told you earlier, Good Mythical Morning, that they've tested MREs, um, which is kind of funny. There is also, I believe his name is YouTube channel, Steve1989 MRE Info, where this guy has finds MREs and some... Like, legitimately, he's found some from, I believe, even up, even through the Civil War of America. And he's, like, you know, that able to, you know, take it apart. Because at that point, like, they were canned. The MREs were canned. And to show people what it looked like. And um, he's, the, his channel, I mean, he has Vietnam MREs, British MREs, Canadian MREs. Russian MREs, Thailand MREs, like he has a plethora. Like he goes through, and that's what he—that's what his whole channel is about—is dissecting MREs and uh, seeing older ones from like the war, like 
the Civil War and World War One and World War Two and Vietnam War, um, and how they were they used to be canned and stuff, and how they would you know be opened. Um, it was pretty. It's really really neat. And, you know, if you're a nerd like me and think that's that that type of stuff is cool, but um, yeah, I just want to give those two guys a shout out because if you've never seen one before, if you never ate one before. If you go to a Good Mythical Morning uh, channel and type the MRE, they do the taste test of newer ones. And Steve, 1989 MRE Info, will break down, like, legitimately every single MRE that's probably ever been made. But that's what the that's what they eat, you know, they, because birds are survivalists. He eats MREs, and this barely living uh, grab bo- uh, mini grab boy eats it, and that's going to come into play, you know, very soon. Because the graboid that was the mini graboid that was stunned, they started doing an experiment on it and figure out like how does it hunt, and they realized that it hunts by set by uh, body heat because it doesn't react to the sound of a broom; it reacts to the heat of the hand. Then, um, as Grady is eating one of the MREs, he gives a piece of it to the to the mini graboid, and he eats it, and it looks like he gets sick, and he regurgitates something. And what he regurgitates, or she regurgitates, is a um, another graboid, another mini graboid. And Dr. Kate Riley determines that they are um, hermaphrodites, that they can replicate um, after eating food and without sex. I believe I said that correctly based on what I learned from the film, because I don't know anything about hermaphrodites or the reproduction of a hermaphrodite. But um, that's what's said in the film, so that's what I'm saying. When this happens, Kate, uh, uh, we then see Kate try to grab, take pictures, and all of a sudden, that barely uh, living graboid ate a lot of bird's food and began multiplying acceleratedly. So now, inside of the uh, the warehouse that's connected to the office, they ate all bird's um, MREs and now we see multiple graboids so now they're trying to find a way to get out of this area before they basically break into the office um and when they get to a car they see that there is a uh i just i should stop calling the graboids call them shriekers but they see a shrieker next to julio's car and the only thing that bird has is i believe a anti-tank gun um that the bullet is looks like the size of a like size of a pen if not bigger um of like a metal pen and it basically chops the shrieker in half and puts a hole into the engine allowing them not to run off um allowing them not to be able to use the truck that was julio's so they end up getting trapped up on top of a oil tower and bert is trapped in a bulldozer uh, the bucket of a bulldozer or the holder and they're stuck well they realize now that the shriekers are starting to work together to try to you know kill them as they begin to make a pyramid from themselves bird gets out ends up trapping them inside the warehouse but then they also see that they um the shriekers they discover there's more food inside and they're going to start doubling even more so earl devises a plan which is ingenious, where he douses himself with a CO2 fire extinguisher to hide his body heat and to get some bombs. That's the only thing left inside Bert's truck. 
Yeah. Now, Kyle, did I always wanted to do this, but I was afraid I would like cause <laughs> like a uh, like uh, hypothermia, right. frostbite, and I lose a limb. Right, dude. The, yeah, this plan is genius. Like, you know that they they see through, you know, body heat. So get rid of your body heat. That that's that's wonderful. So my question is, um, so are we gonna do this? Or are we gonna show over CO two to see how it feels? Uh, I think we'll uh, we'll, we'll just uh, not do that, and yeah, and le- we'll leave it to the professionals. We'll leave it to the because professionals, yeah. Number one, we don't want to waste fire fire extinguishers. Number two, yeah, I as as I I'm obsessed with like fire and and ice. I think like fire and ice are like really cool, you know chemical reactions but um as they say uh do not try without the supervision of experts and i don't know any experts who who are experts of co2 um fire extinguishers as well as fire so um leave that to the professionals because we don't want any accidents happening at home so after uh earl doubts himself with co2 he goes um he sneaks in through like essentially like a, a vent um and as he realizes that his CO2 is wearing off, he lights, uh, excuse me, not lights, he activates a bomb timer and throws it inside of the truck and then takes off. And he tells them to run. And um, when Bert asks, where's the bomb? He says, I couldn't grab one, so I just uh, activated a bomb. And Bert screams out, like, what are you, you know, are you crazy? And he goes, what, is that's not enough? He goes, just keep running. And so when they stop, which is basically like 30, 40 feet, he tells them, no, to me, this is one of the funniest parts of the film is the very end. But he goes like, run, it's going to be big. It's going to be big. Like, how big could it be? And they said, don't, you know, question him. He knows his bombs. And so he said, "Uh, it's, um, it's going to be big. And then Grady yells out, is it going to be today? And all of a sudden, the bomb explodes, and it looks like probably something short of a nuclear explosion. And everything just sees this massive, uh, you know, clouding. They're inside of a um, basically like a drained, you know, ravine or something like that, because there's like a trench. And all of a sudden, they're cheering because the grab because the streakers are dead. But now you see streaker parts, you know, flying, and um. As they get out of it, walking towards which was at one point where the warehouse was, you see this massive crater that looks like it. And they're talking about, you know, now you have character dialogue about, you know, they're going to make money. And now we're going to have, you know, a riot at Earl and Bert's Monsterland. And you hear that Earl's talking to Kate about them hooking up. And that's pretty much the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, I love whenever. He puts the he 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 runs and he's like I put the bomb in your truck. He's like I put the the bomb in your truck and uh, I'm not sure where I put it and and and, and then he's like he, he he's like you did what? <laughs> and then they take off running and then that that explosion. It's like did they have did they have Michael Bay help out with the film because I mean thing was massive. Yeah, I mean. Um... It was a very, like, everything about this film was 
was great. I, I just love the ending of it and just the character dialogue, the character interaction with one another. I think was um, was amazing. And you know, as we're recording, I realized that we pretty much covered this in forty minutes. It's a very short film. It's only ninety-seven minutes, but a lot of it is very, you know, are these great montages or situations that are kind of drawn out, but they're not like it's not a situation where like that could have been like cut like the these segments and these montages are really cool but it's a very it's a very quick watch which is why you and i as we're doing this review it's very and i i think about the same thing as the first one we watch it's a very fast movie like which causes us to like you know cover it in a very fast review and um one of the things as i was looking at as this movie so great this movie even though it was released in 96 was it was actually shot in 94 and it was on the shelf for two years as i'm reading i'm reading through some of my notes and the reason being was that universal they didn't think this film was going to do as well as the first one and when they gave it to like audiences to, to do like a you know a test group they loved the film and they told them they should do it in theaters so the creators were trying to get universal to do like a a wide theatrical release and when it didn't work finally universal gave up and said we're just going to release it um on home video but the film was was originally in the release 96 it was filmed in uh over the course of one month in 1994 and it was basically done edited and just on hold for two years which um i guess that's part of being a part in creative purgatory hell in um in hollywood yeah, you never want to be in purgatory hell as when you're in, when you're uh, as a movie produ- as when you're producing a movie and you're stuck in that. That's that's not good. It, it's hard. It, it takes a while for movies to get out of purgatory. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed this film a lot. It was. Uh, I liked it more than the original, honestly. Like I think it's honestly because of it. While it it was, you know, somewhat serious, it wasn't as serious. Uh, it, it wasn't like it didn't try to be serious like the first one tried, and it was a lot more comedic, and it was just really fun to watch, you know. Well, absolutely. I think one of the things that make this film is, as I mentioned, was while the first one did have, you know, a, you know, comedic relief, but Grady is, who is one of the, the four main characters, is the sole comedic relief. Like, everything about him is that comedic relief. It makes every situation funny. And while Earl kind of, you know, he's plays a more serious character because he realizes what he's into, and um, they just have a great, you know, character relationships in the movie. Um, it was also cool to see Bert Gummer being his crazy self and the relationship that they develop. And, you know, they end up getting bickering back and forth, which is similar to when Earl and Bert got bickering in the first one. Um, there are some nods to the original with, with those character relationships, but they also have a, no, a new element with Kate as well as Grady. Um, in addition to that, the new element of shriekers and having to adapt to that situation makes it um, 
I think a worthy sequel because it's something that stands on its own as being great. Like you, you don't feel like you're watching this. There's some sequels you watch. You're like, they didn't have to make that movie or that was a waste of time where it's like, no, this was a great one. It had uh, an evolution in this timeline, in this, uh, in like the series where this film was fun to watch. It was, um, it, it gave you something, a new element that made it worthwhile for you to invest your time into it. Let's see. How do you want to rank this out of? That's a good question. Um, I really want to say like either the. How about Shriekers? I was gonna say toy cars or or like kitty umbrellas. Let's do toy cars with the explosive remote control explosive toy cars. Okay. There we go. Um, I'll go first. Man, I um, it's really hard because like, I you know one of the things is you and I when we talk about rating, I was like you know, could you make this film any better? And I think when you look at this film, like this film is PG, it's a PG-13 film. I don't think there's anything you could do to really make it better because if you make, if you change anything, like make it more violent, more like if you made it more gory, if you change the dialogue to be like, um, for some reason you wanted to have like more cursing, um, then it becomes a rated R, which changes the dynamic of the film. I... If I gave it, I'd probably still say it's four out of five because I think I would have potentially like liked to have seen um, Valentine come back um, or at least have some sort of you know involvement of Kevin Bacon's character of Valentine um, or even or Reba, even if it was just like you know, if she if she's there with Bert saying, I'm not going down there, you know, you crazy man, but you know, if you want to go down there and help your friends out, that's on you. Or just I, I just that'd be the only thing I would say that could potentially, you know, make this film a little bit better is having more original casting in it of either of Valentine or Rhonda or just calling to say like, Hey, we're you know, I'm not gonna go down there, but we'll give you, you know, some some helpful hints and tips. You know, don't forget about you know, don't forget about how they hunt this way. You know, make sure you ask for this or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, if they would have been able to bring back Kevin Bacon's uh, uh, Kevin Bacon in for this, it would have been it would have been probably a lot better. It, I could have done like a lot more with it, with making him more of a you know main recurring character. So I um I I'll give it four out of five exploding monster uh monster, uh toy cars. Yeah, uh, I I agree with a lot with a lot of a lot of your points as well. Uh, you know, like I said before, with the original, I'm not uh even though I, I enjoy these, they're fun to watch. This isn't quite my my cup of tea. Uh, when it comes to 
uh, horror and, and stuff like this. So I'm going to go with three and a half out of five. But it's still, even though it's not my, you know, it's not my ideal movie to watch, it's still something uh, I wouldn't mind putting on and I'd have a fun time watching. Yeah, I mean, this one, um, they call it a comedy horror, which, you know, I think that's, yeah, it's, I feel like that's right because you can also say the same, like Zombieland, for example. But those are very two different films. Like, I just think it's a style of how you sh- how you shoot the film, um, and what the expectations are, and you know, having like a PG thirteen you know horror film is just it's just very hard. Like this this is like closer to like a Gremlins film than a you know Zombie Ladder from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, I feel like if they would have. Uh up the kills uh and gore and went for a solid r rating this this could be a lot better and probably probably something i would enjoy a lot more i feel like the, the pg-13 kind of ruins it yeah i mean and i think it's one of those ones where it's what is what's the direction of did you want you want this film to be and you and I, we talked about that in the original. I mean, they changed the dialogue where, you know, one of the funny ones from the original was they said, saying, you know, the term motherfucker, they went back and redubbed it to say mother humper, which it sounds like a very horrible, like, TV, uh, like, you know, TV dub where, you know, it's like, I remember watching uh, the TV show Goldberg and they were talking about Die Hard, how it was on TV. And instead, instead of them saying, you know, hippie kaye, you know, mother effort, it says, like, Hippie Kaye, you know, something sucker or something, you know, something weird, you know, that's what they did in the first one. And this one, you know, they changed the dialogue to make sure it stayed PG-13. Um, but it's just a very, like I said, it's, it's a fun thing. You're like, hey, you want to sit down and watch a comedy? I'm going to show you this. It's not something you're going to be like, hey, you, you want to sit down and watch a horror film? This was, this isn't the one I would pull out. But it's something like if you're, you know, if you're like, hey, if it's on TV, I would definitely say you're gonna like sit down and watch it because you're gonna think it's funny. Yeah, this is see the best way, but this is like definitely one of those sci-fi original films. Like that's the vibes I get from it, and I'm I'm pretty sure I've seen it quite a few times on the Sci-Fi Channel, even though it's not a sci-fi original movie. It's definitely a film that you would see playing on the sci-fi channel. Not not like a knock or anything, because I actually find a lot of enjoyment in a lot of the sci-fi original films. I, I can sit and watch them. Well, yeah, and w- I, probably one of the reasons is that um, sci-fi, they actually had released, after the Tremors 3 Back to Perfection that came out in 2001, they actually had a TV show that was released on sci-fi. Um it only lasted um, one season for 13 episodes, but sci-fi, I think, was, you know, they were into the whole Tremors concept, especially the character of Burt Gummer, so they tried releasing the TV show. So I think there is somewhat of a close connection between Tremors as well as, you know, and that network. I'm trying to remember that they had a future, um, 
movies that came out, you know, they had, I think the last one, the last one came out, uh, was released in October of last year, actually, and I saw it. I don't know if that's like the final, final Tremors film, but I'm trying to remember if any of these were were released onto sci-fi, like on early time or not. I don't think so. I think it was released actually for Netflix more and DVD than, than, um, but yeah, sci-fi. This is one of the ones I know sci-fi had, um, like had the rights to for a while. And I think the reason is because yeah, it's because it was released by Universal, and Universal is owned by NBC, which you know NBC Universal, which is owned sci-fi. That's the reason why it's always on sci-fi. Yeah. So uh, any. Uh... Any final thoughts before we get ready to close this one? It's just, um, it's great to be back. I, I had a lot of fun going over this. I know this one's really short. Um, like I said, it's a very short film. It's only 90 minutes long. And it, it's a very quick watch. Like, you know, they're, you know, with it. So you're going to have a lot of laughs in a short amount of time. So um, as we're... Um, you know, we're getting through you know the sequel sequel april and looking forward to uh our next episode as we get back to our a little bit of normalcy yeah and uh if i'm not mistaken uh see we'll he'll figure out a time to to reschedule the tcm2 Review and uh, hopefully we can get uh, Isaac and uh, uh, may, uh, shit, my bad. Uh, Isaiah, not Isaac. God, I don't know why I said Isaac, but hopefully we get Isaiah and uh, and Rod back uh, to return from that one. And uh, and uh, of course it'd be great to uh, great because we'll, uh, I'll have you uh, uh, with me this time. But we'll figure out a time to resettle that one. But I think next uh, episode, if I'm not mistaken, looking at the schedule, we'll be doing Jason X. And that will be a blast because I don't know if you know JR, but here recently, uh, last weekend, I met Kane Hodder. Yes, I saw. It was a um, it was a great picture you guys had at that uh, fan fest. And he's still looking, still looking good, man. Uh, both of you guys had a great, you got both of you guys are looking great on that day. So, um, it was also interesting that Jason X was trending last week and it was like, it was weird because it was kind of, it had to do with, uh, some, you know, Twitter users, like could a horror film be in space and Jason X was brought up because obviously, you know, Friday 13th is a horror franchise, it's like. Well, it's Jason X is a sci-fi because it was in space, and it was such a weird conversation that I saw on Twitter, and I sent it to you. But you know, it was interesting that Jason X was recently trending. But I actually, that was another film when I got back into the horror genre at a younger age. That was one of the first ones I saw um, when it came out because I believe it came out around two thousand and one, and. I mean, talk about that's like your radar, you know, that's your radar comedy. Like, there's a lot of funny stuff in that in that film, and I, I enjoyed Jason X. I thought it was great, so I, I'm looking forward to to reviewing it with you 
especially because you are our Jason guy. So I, I can't uh, wait to hear your thoughts on it. Oh yeah, I'm uh I'm one of them that uh even though even though I know Jason X is not a what you would call a good movie, it, it knows what it is and it doesn't try to take itself seriously. And for that, it is a blast to watch. <laughs> and it has some very unique kills. Oh, yeah, I 100% agree with you. I just think everything about, like, the uniqueness of it because you're basically taking, you know, the, the Cab Crystal Lake, you know, hockey mask killer into the, not just into space, but into future space with, you know, I don't know, nanobite technology and, you know, CGI and all kinds of just interesting stuff. And I thought, um, like I said, I... I think it's a great, you know, I think it's, I shouldn't say great. I think it's a fun movie to watch. Um, I mean, it definitely is a lot of cheesiness into it, but I just thought it's a, it's a movie. And honestly, I mean, I know having Kane Hodder as Jason is just awesome. So I, I said, I can't wait to, to review it with you. Yeah, I can't. It, I can't wait. It's going to be a blast to revisit that one and, and watch it. But yeah, man, uh, it, it was... It's a, it, it was absolutely wonderful to have you back. I've, I've missed you these past few weeks. It's, it's been it's been uh, hard, but you know I understand what you went through, and uh, you know I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad we're starting to get back on on a normal schedule now, and we can move forward now. And uh, it, it's it, I'm just happy to have you back, man. Right back at you. Uh, yeah, uh, as uh, JR mentioned, you know earlier today, just to recap, uh, you know, make sure you wear your mask out in public. Uh, you practice, you know, safe social distancing, and uh, you know, if you're if you're eligible, make sure you get your vaccine so we can, you know, get rid of so we can hopefully get past this pandemic and get back to being somewhat normal, hopefully. And in return to enjoying things, enjoying things that we like. But uh, we hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Uh, we, we we thank you all for your support, and we, we hope that you'll continue to support us and the rest of our friends uh, and family at the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. We're so happy to be a part of them, and uh, we just want to thank. Uh, we just want to say. Th- Thank you to them for allowing us to be part of them. Thank you to everybody who checks us out. Uh, Carmen, who makes us sound good every every week. And uh, we hope you all have a wonderful morning, night, evening, whatever time it is that you're listening to this. And uh, with that being said, it is time to uh, bid you adieu. Goodbye. Good night. Stay creepy. Thanks.